This podcast is intended for adults and might include adult language, themes, and sex education. If you're under the age of 18, we recommend visiting scarleteen.com. Who played show and tell? It was fun and exciting to tell our friends and classmates about what we were proud of, what we had learned, what our favorite new toy was. And somewhere along the way, we learned that we are not supposed to show or tell our stories and experiences about sex and our bodies. Show and Tell Sex is a podcast produced by Self Serve Toys in collaboration with KUNM, a public radio station in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Self Serve Toys is a feminist sex shop in Albuquerque, New Mexico, specializing in body safe, non toxic toys with a health and education focus. Find us online at selfservetoys.com. On Show and Tell Sex, we'll show you the parts that so often get left unsaid. We'll show you the parts that we've silenced. We will tell our secrets. We will be brave together. And we'll have some fun, because show and tell was always fun. Welcome to Show and Tell Sex. I am one of your hosts, Hunter Riley, and I'm excited to be talking today about a couple different things. We're going to start off the episode talking with Lacey Stewart, who is a self-serve employee and local counselor and someone who does um, a class that we, we, we collaborate and do a class all about how to be a sex-positive healthcare provider. So we're going to talk about that. Um, we are also going to talk about open relationships and non-monogamy with a couple different folks. We've got an interview with Kevin Patterson and Sarah Miles talking about coverage of non-monogamy and polyamory in the media, also talking about um, ways in which groups and communities can be more inclusive to people of all identities and backgrounds. And then we're also going to talk to Reed Mahalko. He is going to tell us a few tips if you are interested in opening up your relationship, things to keep in mind. Um, and and we've got a lot for you all. It's going to be a big episode, but I believe in you. Um, I believe in your ability to absorb this information. And um, if you were hoping to hear, be hearing Mady's voice today, I'm sorry, I am not Mady. Um, she does have an episode about identity coming out soon. Um, so keep an eye out for that. So, and I know, you know, last time we made a call out, if you wanted to contribute to that episode, please, you still, you have more time now. The deadline has been extended. So you can still call us on our phone line. The number is posted in the show notes and leave a message. If you have anything you want to talk about as far as identity, we're specifically speaking um, with some some amazing trans women in New Mexico doing work to open up LGBT spaces for all. So if you want to talk about that, you can still send us your comments, and that will be the next episode. But for now, we are going to come back here and speak with Lacey Stewart because she does a lot of awesome work, and she has this very interesting life where she straddles a you know therapy practice. And I'm like, I'm sorry, straddles was a funny word to use there. <laughs> I was trying not to laugh. She straddles a therapy practice and working at a sex shop. Sounds dirty. You are so um, sweet, Hunter. <laughs> um, okay. So, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself, Lacey. Tell us about your practice and, and what it's like, you know, doing the things you do. Yeah. So my name is Lacey. I just opened a private practice here in New Mexico. It's Beyond Ideas Counseling. Um, I have been working at self-serve somewhere between four and a half and five years. Just, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> trying to count it up earlier and couldn't quite remember. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And so that has been a really interesting 
it's been a really interesting journey, um, kind of being in that really like sex positive, um, you know, talking to customers, like customer service oriented space. And then um, I I tend to focus on trauma in my counseling practice. And so then um, transitioning into more of like a like a therapeutic, like let's get through the, the trauma and I really love the intersection between sexuality and trauma so um, you know rape survivors um, people that have had like traumatic sexual experiences mm-hmm. um, all that stuff because that those kinds of things can really sort of come up in our lives and mm-hmm. um, you know prevent us from really having fulfilling meaningful relationships and and getting our needs met sexually. Um, and I mean, trauma is just a really hard thing anyway. Mm-hmm. So I, I like all of that hard right. stuff. And every <laughs> now and then the the self-serve environment and the counseling environment will cross paths. So I'll you know, like run into people I know or right. lately have been doing classes for um, other mental health providers or yes. doing classes on um, sexual for, for sexual survivors. And so that has been really really fun I've really enjoyed that and so um in at the very beginning of July we partnered self-serve partnered with Mm -hmm. um you and Stephen Radcliffe Mm -hmm. and we did a a class for New Mexico Highlands University all about how you know sex positivity in psychotherapy I believe Mm -hmm. that's the name of the course yeah that was fun yeah and it was a three or four hour long class and we had you know I think maybe 10 or 15 folks in the class. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. It was it was really awesome. We had a lot of interest, a lot of questions. But I'd like to hear, um, just so people have an idea, what kind of training around sex and sexuality issues mm-hmm. did you get when you went through school? I got none. Oh, look at that. Yeah. So I did not have like a human sexuality class in my um, graduate program. Um, we didn't talk about sex at all. Right. So, you know, I'm very thankful for the experience that I have at self-serve because I, I think that if I had not kind of had this job and had been really dedicated in, you know, for the, the adult sex education, I don't think I would be doing the kind of work that I'm doing today. Because mm-hmm. a lot of colleagues ask me, well, how do you talk to clients about sex? Right. Or what do you do when a client talks about sex? Mm-hmm. And... Um, I'm, I'm always a little taken aback. I'm like, wow, I, I feel like that's kind of fundamental. Mm-hmm. And it is. It's a fundamental human experience that, you know, we we are sexual beings. Mm-hmm. But it's something that really doesn't get talked about right. all that often. Right. Um, and being at self-serve um, is is different because it's in the you're you're in this whole other world that kind of doesn't make sense <laughs> when you walk outside right. that you don't talk about sex and talk about sex toys and pleasure um, with any person um, in your your day to day except when they come into this like dedicated space and I think that really does a lot of damage to a lot of people who are maybe struggling they have questions they've had bad experiences they don't really know where to go for help. Um, and so they can come into the store um, and they usually have really good experiences there. But then how do they take that out of the store and, you know, get their needs met there? So as a therapist, I really try to, you know, be sex positive and be open and say, hey, like we can talk about those issues if you want, because those those problems have, you know, like fingers into all these other parts of people's lives. And they might they might have a lot of shame to talk about that. 
Yeah, well, and this is something self-serve does provide um, medical trainings, oftentimes free, free medical trainings for, um, you know, for offices around New Mexico. So it's, you know, UNMH has hired us regularly um, mm-hmm. and, you know, again and again to talk to their, um, you know, uh, the like Department of Gynecology and um, the OBGYNs. And we've gotten, hi- we've been hired to come to like the occupational therapy classes and um, lots of, you know, talk to residents, resident UNMH, residents at UNMH about sex and sexuality. And one thing that I've noticed, and I hear you saying here, is that across the board, people come up to me in these presentations and say like, oh, like, you know, I didn't receive any training mm-hmm. and it feels so awkward for me to talk to sex or talk to patients about mm-hmm. sex. Yeah. And it just feels awkward and I don't know how to make it not feel awkward because I know that they can sense that on me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a big thing is that when you feel afraid to bring up an issue about sex with your healthcare provider, whether it be mental health or physical health, that is, you know, inherently sort of going against what the purpose of the job is sort of in, in, in a sort of extracted way, you know, but it's like, you know, if, if they're supposed to be able to come to you with the problems they have and the challenges they're having in their life, but they feel like anytime you've sort of skirted the issue, it's been really awkward. Mm-hmm. I think the same thing, and it's like the same yeah. exact same thing with parents and kids, right? Mm-hmm. Children often yeah. don't feel like they can talk to their parents about sex because if they've ever sort of maybe mentioned it a little bit, it just felt so awkward and icky that they never wanted to do it again. Right, right. You know, <clears throat> our healthcare providers, our parents, those are people that are supposed to be modeling these these topics for us. And, you know, if your doctor can't ask, like, who are you sleeping with? What kind of sex are you having? Is it safe? Um, we're probably not going to offer up that information because we do trust our healthcare providers to ask us questions that are going to be impactful um, for their diagnosis and for our treatment. And I think so often we're not getting asked those questions. And um, I I think that's really doing us a disservice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, and I think um, I also just recognize that you know, we all have our own biases. We all have our own stuff that kind of squicks us out and makes us feel icky. And as a mental health provider and, you know, healthcare providers in the physical realm as well, you know, it's it's, it's okay if that stuff comes up for you. And mm-hmm. I think it's about managing your reaction to someone bringing that up mm-hmm. and then also knowing how to give them resources and where to send them. Yeah, absolutely. And so how do you manage that in your in your private practice and in your, you know, seeing uh, patients and clients? I just ask. Right, right. <laughs> I, I don't, um, I, I mean, I don't have any um, hesitation with that. Um, it's all my intake, paperwork, gender expression, um, sexual orientation, you know, that kind of thing. I'm a little bit about some sexual history um, and if that comes up, I usually tell people, like, you know, we can talk about that. Um, I usually disclose that I work at Self-Serve mm-hmm. um, because, you know, Albuquerque is a small place. No kidding. <laughs> and I just tell them, like, hey, if you see me there, like, this is why I still, you know, work there once a week. Um, and, and I follow that up with, and that means I actually have a lot of resources that I can give you. Um, and, and I have a lot more knowledge um, about some of these resources mm-hmm. than um, a lot of other um, mental health professionals um, in Albuquerque um, right. because of those ties. And I mean, this is a, a personal passion of mine. I want people to um, explore healthy sexuality mm-hmm. in, in whatever way suits them. 
Well, and I can't tell you how often we have folks coming in saying, hey, I need a doctor who knows about kink or I need mm-hmm. a doctor who knows about open relationships and non-monogamy. I'm in a like a couple different, you know, local groups fa- on Facebook that are all about non-monogamy and it's all the time. It's probably mm-hmm. the most frequently asked question. Who is a good therapist or mental health provider that, that mm-hmm. is poly and or non-monogamy aware? Yeah. You know, and because people are navigating and, and you'll hear later on in the episode all about what are some of the challenges people navigate. People, it's hard, you know, people have a hard mm-hmm. time sometimes deconstructing this, you know, the ideas in our head about monogamy and what we should be doing in relationships. And so reaching out to help and and specifically professionally trained help Mm -hmm. sometimes feels like the best option or the only option, I think, for people in open relationships that are struggling, you know, because they can't go to their friends and family about it because their friends and family are like, yeah, of course you're sad and, you Mm -hmm. know, and and it's upsetting, you know, you're, you know, you're, you're not monogamous, you are sleeping with other people or your partner is sleeping with other people. And so it can be a major bummer when you go to your, you know, your therapist or your mental health care provider and they don't, you know, they, they maybe shame you too. Oh right? yeah, I've heard lots of stories about that. And that happens a lot. That happens mm-hmm. a lot where people go to their 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 therapists and even folks who say they're sex positive, right? So it's mm-hmm. really important that if you're saying you're saying to clients, "I am this," that you're actually that. Right. <laughs> you know, and and yeah. I, I have so much. I, I'm I'm so glad that Lacey works at Self Serve and does the other work that she does because I can feel really really confident saying, "Go to Lacey. She's really good about this. She works here. She knows things. She doesn't judge, mm-hmm. and she's actually going to follow up on her word when she says she has resources and information." for you and that's nice because I don't think there's a lot of that yeah well thanks well I mean I you know I want to remind people that you get to interview your therapist too like Mm -hmm. you can ask are you sex positive well how do you define sex positive do you have experience working with kink or non-monogamy like what are some of the resources that you would use for that kind of thing like you get to to really kind of delve into that with them to figure out if this is a good match or not. And if it's not, you don't have to go back. Right. Well, and also like, you know, it's it's very much like dating and sleeping with somebody, right? right. Like listening to them talk about it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, and observing them or hearing them talk about what their experience is with being sex positive or kink or non-monogamy you can hear them talk about it, you know, and kind of get an idea of like, are they really in, like, are, are they really accepting of this? Or did they like read a newspaper article once? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I think there's a lot of that, you know, because it is more common in mainstream culture now that more people are like, oh, yeah, I guess, you know, that non-monogamy or that polyamory is a thing, you know, but you really right. maybe want somebody who's actually spent some time, you know, talking to people. And mm-hmm. we get people coming in all the time asking about relationship challenges. And, you know, we, we carry lots of books and information and we teach classes and we, we host classes at Self-Serve about all these topics. So mm-hmm. we're lucky that we've had a lot of exposure to really good information and we know where to go find more. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all of the couple, couples counseling models are um, monogamous and, and they're heteronormative. And um, and what does that mean, Lisa? That means they're just focused on a man and a woman, mm-hmm. right? Um, and and so in a monogamous of, union, yeah, just you know the classic traditional. <laughs> they're married, yeah, and um, you know that that doesn't work for a lot of people, right? And um, you get to to figure out if your counselor knows what it is that you need, or has the resources and can figure it out. Right. Um, you know, they might not know a lot about 
you know, some sort of like triad structure, but they may be willing to learn um, on their own time. They shouldn't be asking you everything about it enough to help you, but not, you know, right. where, where did this come from? What are some of the ways that polyamory, you know, can can um, structure itself? Um, you know, what are some right. of the resources um, that you use? I mean, that that can be a good question, but um right you know, be, be critical, be wary. Like you mm-hmm. get to um, use your discernment in right. making those um, choices mm-hmm. for your mental health care. Well, and I think that's, you know, it's also, like I also recognize for a lot of people, they're like, well, this is the only person who's accepting new, new clients that also yeah. takes my insurance. So there are definitely times. So if, if you find yourself in a situation where you're like, this is literally the only person I can go see for X, Y reasons, mm-hmm. um, Guess who comes to do trainings at offices? Self-serve does. <laughs> and you could even request to New Mexico Highlands University, you know, mm-hmm. if you're a, health, uh, a mental health provider, you know, we're going to hopefully do this class again. So yeah. let people know that you're interested in sex positive trainings and mm-hmm. then have them email hunter at selfservetoys.com <laughs> and yeah. I will email you back and we will set something up. And yeah. I can't tell you how much response and feedback we get from this program. Mm-hmm. So we have people, you know, healthcare providers sending their patients and clients into us every single day. Mm-hmm. Every single day we have somebody who comes in and says, I was here because my doctor sent me. I'm here because yeah. my therapist sent me. Mm-hmm. So really what self-serve does is we provide training to let you all know what it means to be sex positive and how we can all evaluate our own biases. And mostly we're going to give you information on on referring people out either to us or to other people. Mm-hmm. Right. Um and and oftentimes after knowing more about self-serve or even after coming in, a lot of the healthcare providers are like, oh, I feel really comfortable sending my patients here because I'm not yeah. sending them to some traditional skeezy CD sex shop. Right. I, I've walked in and I've recognized that this is so different and the experience here is so empowering and supportive that I feel confident sending patients here. Mm-hmm. So we're really lucky that we have that working relationship already, and now we're just sort of putting more energy and effort into it because we get such great feedback from healthcare providers. We're now, you know, we've got several different offices and departments within UNM who hire us on an annual basis to come and do a training, you know. So there's a couple different places that we go, and they're like, we want you every single year. And we're like, well, we will be here. (laughs) (laughs) And we offer, we have like over like 18 resource guides and resource pamphlets, so we have like... Mm -hmm. You know, um, most of it's local resources. Some of it's are things online, anything ranging from gender expression to STI testing to resources for people experiencing homelessness, um, survivors of sexual assault, kink, non-monogamy, abortion resources. So there's so many resources that we can give folks when they come in, as well as books, classes. And, um, you know, we can even send them on to other folks, more specialized folks as well. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean, it's self-serve sexuality resource center for a reason. It is. It is. We have lots and lots of resources and we can find the things that you need if we don't have it. Right. Right. Which I think is something really special. Um, And so what are some of the, you know, what are some of the ways in which, you know, doing both of these jobs at the same time, like how Mm -hmm. do they sort of play into each other? Um. I've had people that I have interacted with at the store um, seek me out in counseling because of the interactions that we've had because mm. they felt really safe, which is really affirming to me. So thank you. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, it It's also because I have all this counseling training, it's a lot easier for me to take someone who is maybe like scared out of their mind 
and is like super nervous to engage with anyone at the store um, and maybe has never bought a vibrator before but really wants to but they're just just so afraid um, to kind of make that a, a easier experience for them and and kind of talk to them about you know just sort of normalizing the experience mm-hmm. you know like well you know like masturbation is okay you don't have to buy a toy um, these are the benefits of buying a toy um, you know just just look around and you know you don't have to buy anything today um, and just kind of really helping people sort of ease in right. to that experience and then every now and then I'll get um, you know some very specific questions um, you know, and like relationship questions, a lot of people just want to know, you know, like, what is what is my partner going to like? Or how do I know um, what I like? And, you know, those can sound like really basic questions, but they're, um, they're very delicate to right. answer sometimes. Right. And, you know, you have to be really aware that these people in front of you are incredibly vulnerable mm-hmm. and they're doing something that um, is, is really challenging and to really kind of honor that. And I think we do a really good job in the store of honoring people's experiences and just kind of giving them that safe space. Yeah, it's funny to work with because I get to work with Lacey sometimes and like the way that you, you know, care for customers and give them space to ask questions. And it's it's really awesome to watch. But then there's oh, definitely times you. where I'm like oh no, like, am I, am I messing it all up? Like, (laughs) did I just say something really, or like, am I not really listening? You know, (laughs) because we have, we have folks who work at the store who are like legitimate mental health providers (laughs) who've like gone to school. And I'm like, I hope I'm doing a good job. It's it's, it's so good to hear you in the way you do it and to see how you Mm -hmm. approach people because it really gives me, you know, a good model and guide and to be like, oh, okay, that like, you know, giving somebody space and time to do what feels good for them in this space is amazing what Mm -hmm. it does for their experience. Yeah. Excuse me. I, I think people are just really looking for permission. Mm. I mean, that's something that came up in our sex positive psychology class. Right. Um, and I think it's something that is incredibly relevant to the store. Like people just want permission mm. to yeah. to have the experiences that they're having or to seek the information that they want. Um, and that permission is really key it for is. a lot of people. Um, and that comes up a lot in therapy too, whether it's individual or couples. Um, and we're talking about sex or the kind of sex people want. Just giving people permission to explore that um, can really make some dramatic changes in lives. Right, right. Well, so Lacey, are you taking clients now? I am taking clients. Where can people find you? People can find me at um, beyondideascounseling.com. You can email me at Lacey at beyondideascounseling.com or Lacey at selfservetoys.com. Um, I'm in the store usually Friday nights. Um, although every time I say that, I feel like I'm not there right. that And then day, someone's so. like, you said you were going to be here. And <laughs> no, they're like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. Back. I'll be there. This, um, <laughs> most of the time on their Fridays, right. um, you know, um, but I'm there at least once a week. Um, and I'm on like psychology today and good therapy. So you can, um, you know, do a search for me there. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us today. And it was a pleasure to nerd out with you on all this good stuff. Thank you. Thanks. I'm here with Sarah and with Kevin. Uh, So again, we're going to let them talk a little bit about themselves and the work they do. So Sarah, do you want to go ahead and start off and tell us who you are and and why you're here today talking about open relationships and non-monogamy? 
Well, absolutely. Thank you, Hunter. I'm Sarah Miles. I'm here because you asked me to be to talk about it's relationships true. and non-monogamy. I am a career sex worker. I own a phone sex company that specializes in BDSM fetish kink conversation. I've been a sex worker for almost two decades, actually. And in a lot of the work that I've done as a sex worker, I've encountered people who have a dream for their relationship that they don't think could ever come true. And so they experience a lot of agony. About eight, nine years ago, I started doing more sex activism. I had a group for kinky people for about five years called New Mexico Fetlifers. From there, I branched out into teaching into the community. Most recently, I had a couple of things happen that I'm really excited about. And I've been asked to attend DomCon, which is the premier event for professional dominant women as a guest of honor in New Orleans. And I've been asked to be the BDSM advisor to the New Mexico Strangulation Task Force. So these are pretty, pretty extraordinary. Like, I'm like, how do we even talk about that? <laughs> but in the meantime, you know, I also live a normal life where I have a kid and I go to my office and me and my partner negotiate and renegotiate mm -hmm. and figure out how we can have the dream of a relationship that we both believe intellectually that we deserve we have. At des we believe intellectually that we deserve to have it. Mm -hmm. And we work on believing emotionally that mm -hmm. we deserve to have what we want. That's awesome. That's I'm I'm so excited to hear more about those other things you just mentioned. But um, I'm I also want to hear from you, Kevin. So go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and you know you know how you do non-monogamy or polyamory and what that looks like for you. Um, well, um, my name is Kevin Patterson. I um, I do non-monogamy sort of relationship anarchy style. Um, I don't pretend to be any sort of a relationship anarchy purist, but the way I basically define it is um, any relationships that I'm in, any people that I meet, any interactions I have, uh, I just sort of let them take shape naturally. Whatever works best for me and the other person, um, romantically, socially, sexually, logistically, what, wherever we land, whatever our sweet spot is, is what our relationship is. Um, sometimes I use labels, sometimes I don't, but I don't put any sort of fixed structure on anything that I'm doing. Awesome. Thank you. And um, Kevin, just so folks know, because you're obviously calling in, um, where are you based out of? Um, I'm based out of the Philadelphia area. Okay. And also, you uh, you have a cool Tumblr blog, too. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, thank you for calling it cool. I don't really think of it that I mean, way. it's pretty cool. <laughs> Let's be real. It's just this thing that I do. But um, <laughs> I, I run a blog that's uh, sort of an interview series for uh, polyamorous people to express their real, their real experiences. Um, and um, it's you know a series of eight questions of what you do well and what you do poorly, what self-identities are important, and how do they impact your polyamory. Um, I have a special section for people's poly origin stories. I have a special section for people for people's sort of horror stories and what they learn from those horror nice. stories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's uh it's it's very centered on. Um, underrepresented people in polyamory like polyamory a lot of times it, it looks a certain way when you see in the media mm -hmm. so my blog is sort of uh something meant to break that up so if you think that polyamory if you think that non-monogamy can look like everybody you can find people who look like everybody on my blog yeah and that's like just thank you for doing that work that's very important and that pretty much leads exactly into um, my first question which is you know of the coverage that polyamory and consensual non-monogamy get, you know, in oh, and just just for folks who don't know, consensual non-monogamy and polyamory 
is um, one definition of it, and I'm sure there's lots of definitions, but one of them is that, you know, you were having multiple relationships. They could be romantic. They could be sexual um, with the knowledge of all parties involved. Um, does that definition sit well with y'all? Is there stuff you want to add? I mean, it's kind of a simple one, and I know that there's a lot more that we can get into, but I think as far as for people who are like, well, what the heck is this gosh darn polyamory you're talking about? So that's that's one definition I've heard. Is there anything that you all would like to add to that? Um, just willingness. Like, everyone needs to be sort of checked in on the same page. Like, it can't just be um, I'm in multiple relationships and, you know, my partners don't know that I am. Right. Right. Perfect. So that's kind of the distinction um, from non-monogamy, polyamory um, versus infidelity or cheating. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as well. Okay. Um, but, you know, I think that it may, might be fair to say that polyamory is getting more and more media coverage these days. I see more mainstream media outlets talking about polyamory, not always well. Um, but what are, you know, of that coverage, what isn't being talked about? What isn't being represented? And, and what, what would you all add to the conversation that's out there? Um, I feel like a lot of the coverage ends up being really, really couple-centric. Yes. And, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm in a couple. I'm, I'm a married man. I've been married for a little over 10 years. But um, there are so many people who practice uh, solo poly, relationship anarchy, so many people who are not hierarchical in the way they practice their, their, uh, their non-monogamy. I feel like a lot of the coverage ends up being, like, strictly couples. And then if you are someone who is dating a couple or dating someone who is part of a couple, if you are a single who is non-monogamous, you kind of, it, the coverage kind of makes them feel like, left out, tacked on, unimportant. That's that's not right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I remember, Kevin, that you were interviewed for, um, was it in the New York Times recently? Oh, uh-huh. uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. talk about that experience a little bit, because I remember seeing this sort of pop up in lots of different places, you know, across Facebook, and seeing it was really interesting to see different reactions to it, you know, because I saw what you had posted about it, and then I saw it posted in another group, and people were sort of praising it and saying it was the most amazing thing they'd read. And so it was very interesting to see this one piece cause so many different reactions. So can you talk a little bit about what that was like to, to be, you know, part of this mainstream cover, coverage of open relationships and polyamory and, you know, what, what that left you feeling? Um, well, I mean, I'll start, I'll start with that and say that it left me feeling pretty raw about the whole experience. Um, the 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 article was a it was a pretty big article and New York Times magazine is is a is a huge uh is a huge platform. It felt really again very it felt really couple centric. Um it felt like it focused so much on the narrative of unhappy people opening their marriages or opening up their marriages in an attempt to save them from their unsatisfying mm-hmm. situations. And and don't get me wrong, that's that's definitely something that's a common thing, and it's definitely it's common enough to speak of. It's something that deserves representation. Mm-hmm. But they interviewed me for hours, and my story isn't like that at all. Mm-hmm. And my words were left out. Like, my mm-hmm. picture, my wife's picture, like, they used our, our, our black faces, mm-hmm. and they did not use any of our black words. Mm-hmm. Um, it, we felt tokenized by the whole thing. There was another, there was another gay couple in there who, mm-hmm. I mean, they can speak for themselves, but looking at them, I thought they were tokenized as well because they had almost zero dialogue in there, and I don't believe that their stories were the same as, as the, the, narr- the dominant narrative of the article. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was 
annoying because I felt like they, they, they did a lot of research with people who I know, people who have written books, people who have a, a wide variety of stories, but they used almost none of that, mm-hmm. opting to just reiterate the same unhappy couple, let's open it up, relationship broken, add more people, over and over and over. Right, right. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I think um, I don't do recall the, the title of the article in case people want to go check it out. We can always link to it in the show notes, but I, I it's it's slipping my mind now. But I'm sure there aren't too many <laughs> too many articles right. in the, the New, New York, York Times, Times about polyamory yeah, open yeah. relationships, so it's probably pretty easy to find. <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote a whole response piece to the to the thing. Uh, if you link if you link the New York Times article, like, hit me up for a link, and I'll send you mine as well. That would be great. I would love to have your response piece featured as well. Awesome. Great. And so, Sarah, what about you? What do you think that the sort of mainstream coverage is leaving out? Um... Well, I second everything Kevin has expressed so far. And I would just, you know, s- simply state, too, that most of the coverage of co- couples that are not monogamous is white couples, middle class or higher couples, professional college educated couples, that certain kinds of couples decide to have these certain kinds of new fangled relationships. Mm-hmm. When I think in actuality, a lot of different subcultures have always practiced forms of relationship anarchy, starting from a place of relationship parity, which is one of my favorite terms, that all mm. relationships are really on the same playing field. They're all they're all in relationship parity. Your relationship with the person you have sex with, who may not be the person you love the most, to the person you want to spend the most of your time with, to your child, to your dog, to your coworkers, to all these other beings you have relationships with, they're all in the same playing field. Mm-hmm. And you can decide which ones are more valuable, more needing of time, mm-hmm. more important to you at different points in your life. And I think a lot of sub- subcultures have always practiced ways of doing what we now term relationship anarchy, mm-hmm. polyamory, non-monogamy. They didn't always include love and sex. Sometimes they did. Mm-hmm. But what we see in the media is a quick fix or this is, you know, this is what nice people do. And, you know, if we extrapolate the term nice and differentiate it from kind, nice people are white people. Nice people are middle class or higher people. So this is a way to do it. Where are the leather families? Me and my partner are both people of color from different countries with different um, abilities to have an American citizenship, Mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. We're both differently gendered. And I don't think that we've ever seen anything that really represents that. Except for ourselves. And one of the things that I always come back to when I teach is, hey, you all, we're actually creating our models right now. Mm. We're doing it. And that's exciting. And it's it's blessed to have the opportunity to do that. But it'd be nice to see a model once in a while that felt a little familiar. Right. Well, and one of the things that I see, you know, I, I see more and more people talking about how polyamory and, you know, sort of polyamorous circles and communities are oftentimes very white, like you said, sort of middle, upper class. Um, I see people talking about wanting to change that. And I also see people missing the mark on how they go about changing that. So, I mean, and I think, Kevin, I've heard you talk about this a little bit before in some other podcasts, but, you know, for folks who maybe are involved in non-monogamy communities, you know, what, if you feel like sharing, are some of the ways that you know, they can go about making those communities better, um, you know, and, and, and what does that look like? You know, because uh, I think a lot of people want that, but maybe their follow through is not really meeting their goal. Um, that's, that's at least my observation is, you know, it's kind of like, well, we just need more people of color to come to our events. And it's like, well, that's not actually, you know, that's not actually helpful. So what, what are some of these ways 
maybe you see, you know, is that is that something you all see? Is it something that you think could be addressed differently? Um, what do you what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, there's um, I've been to a lot of events where I am the sole person of color or like there might be two or three people of color and they all came with me in my car, you know, right. <laughs> um, what I can say is like just sort of off the top of my head, like part of it is sort of the way you do advocacy and who is doing the advocacy where if it's if it's a bunch of uh white white organizers in a room saying why don't we get more people of color Mm -hmm. that's already Mm -hmm. the problem Mm -hmm. right you know where are the people of color who are organizing why is why why is your leadership why is your leadership so uh, homogenous Mm -hmm. and i know it's not really an easy thing to ask people you know they they start uh communities they form meetup groups and happy hours and cocktail hours and they want to sort of preserve their leadership over these things mm. but if if there are no people of color at your events or if that's a current problem it's not an accident it might not be intentional but it's not an accident either right. you know um you've got to do a lot of intentional planning like where are you holding where are you holding um holding your events how accessible are they not just for um I mean, for people with disabilities, how accessible are they by mass transit? How accessible mm-hmm. are they to people um, without cars or without great financial means? Right. You know, uh, are they on one side of town where all the people of color are on the other side of town? Mm-hmm. These are all things that you have to sort of take into account when you're planning your when you're planning your uh, your events. I mean, just here in Philadelphia. Um, I was recently let, added to to local leadership, and we've had some of the most racially diverse uh, events ever in this group's in this group's history since I've been added to leadership. Right. Like, I don't know how much of that is intentional on on my part, but I know having my face very public as part of like leadership of of a group mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. make people feel more welcome than they would have otherwise, and and not as sort of like you know, token black guy leadership, like active doing things and advocating as part of the plan sort of leadership. Right. Right. Well, and sometimes, you know, really, you know, like stepping back as, as white people and letting that leadership happen and, and uh, really like releasing some of that power. I think that's, it, that sounds kind of like what, that's what you're saying is that it's not just you being, you know, a picture in a group, but also, you know, being able to take up some of that space helps other people feel more comfortable engaging. Yeah, I mean, I've I've definitely been to I've definitely been to uh, events where other people of color have been, and they come up to me afterwards and say, "I was so glad to see you there." Like, I just want to know there were, there were going to be other black people. I just want to know there were going to be other people of color here when I walked in, and seeing you set me at ease. People that didn't even speak to me while we were at the event, you know, would say something to me after the fact. So that's. You know, it's something that we all we all do. It's something we walk into a room, we take a look, we see who looks like us, we count whether or not we engage is a different thing. But mm-hmm. knowing that you're welcome is sometimes seeing that you're welcome. Right. I would love to add that to that too. That if if poly groups or people listening are looking to increase diversity, to think too about gender diversity. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to have a meeting in a specific place, what are the bathrooms like? Is somebody gender variant going to be comfortable and safe? Are queer people generally safe to come to that area? You know, before we even think about who's represented, like who's going to be safe walking in? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think that also sort of thinking about like, you know, where are your events? What 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 establishments are you having them at? And if, 
you know, there's a particularly conservative part of town, maybe that is going to impede some people from coming because they don't feel comfortable actually getting there and getting out of their car and walking in. How is the wait staff going to react to having people of color and gender variant people in the room? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so one of the thing I wanted to talk about is, um, you know, and maybe you can speak to this, Sarah, um, where did where did your journey into non-monogamy or polyamory start versus where you are now? Well, I was a cheater. Yeah. Just start with that. <laughs> I was a cheater from as long as I can remember. And I would just feel this urge, like this urge to not be trapped by my relationship and to just go do my own thing. But the, the weird thing I always felt in my like teens and through my 20s was that I never stopped loving the person I was committed to monogamously, quote unquote. I just wanted to do this other thing sometimes too. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I wrecked several relationships and treated several people really badly that I turned inward and I was starting to connect outward with more people who were differently identified from the heteronormative, cisgendered, patriarchal paradigm. And I was like, so I guess there is this way. But, you know, this way, this polyamory way, this non-monogamous way, it's not easy because then you have to be really honest. You have to be really honest about what you want. And I'm not a person who wants to maybe have relationships with several people or enduring love with several people. I like to have, you know, a really close best friend and a really close romantic and sexual partner who may cross into some kind of power exchange partner. Mm-hmm. And then just once or twice a year, I might want to sit on somebody's dick. <laughs> that's, that's about how it works. And it's, yeah. you know, and I want to have the freedom to do that. Mm-hmm. So when I enter the relationship I'm in now, I force myself to say those things. Mm-hmm. And it was really hard. And the first time I did it, when I came home from a trip and told her, I literally sat on the edge of the bed, cat corner to the door, when there was no sign that she would be upset, and she wasn't upset. But I was just like, nobody could ever be okay with me wanting to love and be with you, but just occasionally, you know, sit on somebody's dick somewhere else or something. Right. Well, and I think I think just hearing, and one of the things I appreciate about Kevin's blog is just hearing all the different ways that people do it, because we get so caught up, especially with very narrow media representations about you know, okay, it has to look like a triad or it, or or you have to have, you know, three partners who you're, you know, seeing every week and it has to, you know, and, and so we just get these Schedules sort of... Schedules and Google calendars right. and, and that's like, I run a business. I don't want to run a biz, another business. Right. Well, that's what it feels like to me and that's not, you know, I don't mean that qualitatively about what anybody else is doing, but there are so many ways to engage in having romance, sex, friendship and connection that are fulfilling, that don't look anything like this once this man, once this woman, and you will be together forever under God. Right. Bullshit paradigm. Right. Well, and I just appreciate that so much because I think there's not, you know, there, there are so many, you know, there's like, here's the ways that you can do polyamory that are good and right and, and the best ones. And then if you fall outside that, there's a lot of shame in it. And it keeps yeah. people from reaching out and, and getting support they need. And I have a lot of people come to me and be like, well, like, you know, I think I might be a swinger. And they're like, but I'm afraid to tell people. And I'm like, hey, like, you know, I get why why, why there's that fear. And I also understand why people have judgments about swingers and swing culture. I, I get all of those things. But the fact that there's a lot of people who might, you know, be, you know, might want to engage in this sort of non-monogamy community or lifestyle, but don't feel accepted because you know, they're not in a triad or they don't have, you know, three partners or five partners or, or whatever it might be. So I, I think hearing the stories of people who have relationships that look different from um, 
you know, the, the, the relationships that get the most coverage is really, really important. And so how about you, Kevin? Where did you start with, you know, polyamory, non-monogamy, and where are you now? Um, well, I'm I am part of the stereotype. I'm part of the problem. I, I opened up a uh, I opened up a previously established monogamous relationship, but realistically, it wasn't that pre-established. We had been together for about six months. We hadn't really talked about what we wanted out of our relationship because, in a lot of cases, monogamous partners don't always talk about exactly what they want out of their relationship. It's just sort of assumed, and that was the case with us. We we opened it up, um, and after that, it was just sort of starvation economy thinking, where I would date whoever would have me, whoever would whoever would um, be willing to date someone who was already in a committed relationship. And the more I found community, and the more I was more got more confident in my dating, I stopped dating people who didn't actively um, identify as non-monogamous. Mm-hmm. And now it's just a matter of letting relationships form how they form. I am someone who uh, who forms bonds and forms connections sexually. Um, a, co- a couple colleagues of mine, the Frisky Fairy and Sex Positive Psych, uh, coined a term called megasexual, which I think is awesome. <laughs> and um, so now it's I form my relationships. I don't keep them superficial. I don't keep them casual. It can be as emotionally involved as seems reasonable, but um, I just sort of have a series of ongoing relationships from committed and part of my family to we see each other every few weeks and, and fuck around, and that's just sort of where my wheelhouse is. Like, there are some people I see every week, and there are some people I see every month, or some people I see once or twice a year, and and I love these people. Like, I love what we do, where me loving someone who I see every day might mean one thing, but me loving someone who I see once or twice a year means something different, and that's okay as well. Like, we're not trying to replicate the same love in every interaction. Right, right. So I'm curious to know, is there anybody in this industry that you're really excited to work with or whose work you admire? Sorry, I'm going to go off on a tangent here. That's cool. Um, I like tangents here. There's a there's a, a skit on Chappelle's show where mm-hmm. where Ch- uh, Dave Chappelle meets up with Wayne Brady and things go completely off the rails. Early in that skit, Dave is sort of saying like, "Hey, you know, we're black actors. We got to stick together," and just sort of this, "Let's have some solidarity because we're we're facing the same struggle." Mm-hmm. And I pattern a lot of what I do, a lot of my work around that, where. Like if I run into someone like um, Chris Smith, who's uh, who's um, a presenter and uh, and a black polyamorous writer, uh, I ran into him and I was like, "Hey, we're gonna do some work together," and I'm excited about I'm excited about his work. Um, I ran into Tracy Brown and uh, Amanda Smith at uh, Atlanta Poly Weekend recently, and I really enjoyed their presentation. So now it's like, let's do some work together. Let's let's do some things. Um, uh, Alicia Bunyan Sampson, who does a uh, diary of a polyamorous black girl. Like I read her articles and I said, wow, these are awesome. I hope we can do some work together. That's sort of where I find my interest, where I find my excitement. Um, Ruby, Ruby uh, Johnson, who's um, the organizer behind Poly Dallas Millennium coming up in uh, July. Mm-hmm. Like I hung out with her at, at a conference and I said, wow, we need to do some work together. So when you ask me like who I'm excited about, like, Anytime I meet 
other black people doing this work, doing work uh, in terms of diversifying representation or, or uh, showing, uh, showing out inclusivity and sort of giving different perspectives, I immediately think, let's do some work together. Like, let me, let me, help, you, like, let me help you climb. Please help me climb. I shine, you shine, all of that. Right. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And I hope folks can check out some of those people and the work they do. Yeah, definitely. Did you want to add anything, Sarah? I was, you know, I'm almost 41. And I had a lot of, of trials and tribulations to come to the point of being closer to who, closer to a person whose, whose actions match her desires. And when I look at younger people, people 18 to 25, 26, it's astounding the amount of, of ways they have developed to talk to each other about who they are and what they want. And I'm excited to see where all of that eventually settles when they get to be my age and then hopefully to still be alive and watch them, watch the next generation. You know, we all pave the way for the people coming after us hmm. to make it easier for them. And it's easy as you get older to be like, what are these new terms? What is this <laughs> demisexual? What is this, right. you know, curio romantic shit? Well, actually, it's it's they're doing the stuff that I worked for them to be able to do, literally. Mm-hmm. Me and a whole, pardon me, a whole bunch of other people. And, you know, the generation older than mine, most of the gay men are dead. So the fact that we get to be, you know, me as a queer person and other queer people in Generation X get to be around and seeing what younger, non-heteronormative, non-monogamous paradigm people are doing, that's phenomenal. And that's inspiring. Yeah. That's awesome. I like that. So you're kind of looking looking forward to the people who are, yeah. who are, who are making it happen to now. To checking myself. Yeah. The minute I'm like, what is this about? I'm like, shut up, Sarah. <laughs> it's this new. is something you need to pay attention to. Because you're having this rejective reaction. Right. Yeah. Um, so I also wanted to ask you all that we had somebody uh, submit a question so we can get your opinion on that. So uh, the question is, is it possible to be in a relationship where one person is monogamous and the other person is not monogamous? Sarah, would you like to take I would love that? to. I think it's absolutely possible. And I, I would say this. It's absolutely possible for somebody asexual to be in a relationship with somebody allosexual. It's absolutely possible for somebody demiromantic to be in a relationship with somebody alloromantic. It's absolutely possible for somebody oriented in a multitude of ways. And orientation is much more multidimensional than we, I think, have been led as a culture to believe, to form relationship dynamics with other people. It's a matter of what do I need, what do I need, and how am I going to fulfill his or her needs, their needs. What are we going to do together to make this work? Anything is possible, I think, in any kind of relationship dynamic. If we constantly, conscientiously live in resistance to the harmful prescriptive ideologies we've been fed about what a relationship has to look like and has to accomplish. Awesome. Thank you. Oh, yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, no, I'm like, we need to like make that into a, like a card and, oh, you know, thanks. we can. That's really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Um, the only thing I would really add is, well, A, you're, you are absolutely correct. And B, a, a lot of the people that I, there are a handful of people who I date who are married or in otherwise like nesting relationships where their partners aren't by the books monogamous. Like they, they have the option, but not the willingness, not the desire really to, to, to date outside of their primary relationships. I mean, and I say that for lack of a better term. I don't know if they refer to them as primary relationships. But, yeah, it's, it's, absolute, it's absolutely possible where in some cases it's, yeah, wife, go out and do what you're going to do because I feel like staying home and 
building model trains all day. <laughs> exactly. You know, where they're they're polyamorous with their wife and their model trains. Right. Well, and so much of it yeah. comes down to time and energy too. You know, so if one person you know, puts more time and energy into this other part of their life, say their job or, you know, raising kids, sometimes it can just feel exhausting to try and date and be non-monogamous. So I feel that a lot where sometimes I'm just like, whew, it's been a rough month. I'm just going to stay in bed and watch some Star Trek. (laughs) With all other orientations, we don't expect, I mean, in general, we don't expect that you have to be doing it to be it. Right. You know, you don't have to be in a relationship with another cis man if you're a cis gay man to be gay. You still get to be gay. And, you know, I love what Kevin was pointing up about the other person doesn't always have the willingness or they want to stay home with their model trains because it's about priority and joy. Right. And maybe person A needs a lot of alone time and person B needs a lot of social time. And practicing some form of non-monogamy can lead to the best fulfillment for everybody. Right. And one of the other things that um, folks will hear a little bit later on is I got the chance to talk to another person who was here a couple weeks ago, so we didn't get to have him in on this conversation, but um, another sex educator, Reed Mahalko, talks a lot about the different sort of relationship styles and how they fit together, you know? So some people really like to be in, like, pods versus the lone wolf, and you can have relationships with people who don't fit your classification. You just need to sort of work it out to make sure that the needs are being met. You know, and I think that takes that takes a lot of the pressure off of like, all right, well, I have to find somebody who is exactly like me and who wants all these things exactly like I do. Um, so I think it's more just a matter of what are the needs and, and how, ca- how can we get real creative to figure out how we meet them. Uh, awesome. So that's that's pretty much all the time we have today to speak Whoa, with that you went all. Fast. I know it went so fast because we were having fun. That's that's how the saying goes. Um, but I would love for you all to tell folks if you have any events coming up or anything you want, you know, to let them know about you and also tell people where to find you so they can go support the work you do and follow you on that world wide web. So, um, Sarah, what what you got? Well, Hunter, at Self Serve here in Albuquerque, <laughs> on July 27th, I'll be teaching The More You Give, The More You Get, Polyamory 101. And then a week later, on August 3rd, both Thursday nights, I'll be teaching Living the Dream, Polyamory and Practice Beyond the Theory. So I'd love to see a lot of folks local who have wanted to come out and learn more about what it might be like to live outside of monogamy or perhaps connect with folks living outside of monogamy. Absolutely. To come to both of those classes. And I can always be found if you just Google Sarah Miles, S-E-R-A, because it's sexy, <laughs> M-I-L-E-S, SarahMiles.com. I'm Sarah Miles on Twitter. I'm Sarah Miles almost everywhere. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you, Sarah. And how about you, Kevin? Um, yeah, well, in in real space, I'm actually going to be um, presenting at Poly Dallas Millennium the the weekend of um, July 13th to the 16th. I'm going to be at Woodhall Sexual Freedom Summit the first weekend in August, and I'm going to be at Catalyst Con in Los Angeles, and that is um, September the weekend of September 15th. Online, you can find me at polyrolemodels.tumblr.com. I'm polyrolemodels on Facebook, polyrolemodels on Instagram, polyrolemodels on Twitter, and I just opened up a Poly Role Models uh, Patreon page. Even though I'm keeping my blog as a free resource, like I, if anyone wants to support inclusive representation of polyamory, that's patreon.com slash polyrolemodels. Okay, folks, you heard it. Give them your money. Support it. <laughs> thank you so much for both of you for having this conversation. Thank you for the work you do. Um, and thank you for showing up in all the awesome ways you do. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Hunter. Yeah, thank you for having me. Absolutely. 
We are here today with Reed Mahalko of Read About Sex. Boop, boop. And we're lucky because we get to talk to him about open relationships. Mm-hmm. I hear that's something you have experience with and you have thoughts about. I, I have a little bit, uh, I hope. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm having open open relationships and people uh, seem to not be mad at me. I mean, um, the ones that I'm in relationships with, so I think it's working. That's awesome. So tell us a little bit about your history, you know, in open relationships, how you got into it, what brought you there? Um, well, I mean, there's a lot of fun YouTube videos on my YouTube channel, which is Read About Sex, and uh, there's some body storytelling videos where I go into great, you know, 10-minute right. blasts of my X-Men origin story around polyamory, but the the quick version was that while I was really good at monogamy, it didn't seem to make me happy in the way, or I was kind of restless, and I thought maybe that was I wasn't hadn't grown up mm. completely, or I, you know, I must my, I must not really love the person I'm dating because I want to, you know, see other people. Eventually, I had the gumption to intentionally start an open relationship with somebody when I think I was like 29, almost 30, and that was really fun. And we had um, we made a lot of mistakes, but we also uh, did a lot of things right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just being really open and honest with each other, and trying to be real and kind as we just kind of went through all these learning curves. Uh, right. And then eventually, I would find the ethical slut, which is like you know the holy you know the holy grail or the bible of of open relationship books, because that was one of the first. And then there are a bunch of other books. Uh, Deborah Annapol, who's now passed away. Um, wrote uh, a book called Polyamory. And now there's a whole bunch of different open relationship books and Tristan Terramino's Open, um, Opening Up, and um, Jenny Block's Open. And then there's even uh, more than two. There's a a ton now of things that we didn't have back in the early aughts. Right. And you also have a couple tools yourself that you talk to people about as far as open relationships and non-monogamy. <clears throat> uh, yeah. Um, so a lot of things for me as somebody who's also very promiscuous, so I identify as a queer polyamorous slut. Um, I like having primary relationships and secondary relationships and tertiary relationships and just like more and more electron shells of uh, valence or valence, whatever the right uh, science word is for that. So that my my relationship life looks a lot like a plutonium atom with a lot of electrons swirling around it. <clears throat> and uh, shout out to Ida Mandalay, who um, who was the first person I heard talk about polycules as like electron shells. But um, along the way, the the things for me as a sex geek and as an educator that seemed to help a lot was this idea of like dating your species, which is applicable to whatever kind of self-expression you happen to have around relationships. Um, it's the idea of, and I use the analogy of music, if you're a musician who loves playing country music, like don't start a band with a bunch of rock and roll musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, but what ends up happening is a lot of people, you know, it's like we're the musicians growing up in our little town and you start a band with the only kid in town who happens to have a drum kit. Um, and then later you find out that you guys want to play country and they want to play rock and roll and then the band splits up. And so what I would advocate for now that we have the internet and we can, you know, a uh, bunch of different dating apps and things like that, um, is do your research and do your due diligence to figure out what kind of music, like how the music of relationships and love and intimacy come through you, 
And then do your due diligence to find a drummer who wants to play that same kind of music. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea of dating your species is to figure out like what really works for you and what ideas around relationship make you happiest. And then try to find and assess for people that are already in your sweet spot because then they actually kind of love you for who you are and you don't have to change each other as much. I mean, nothing's ever perfect. You know, maybe they leave their clothes or their socks on the bedroom floor. Right. But, but those kinds of things are way different than you're poly and they want to be monogamous. Right. Um, so dating your species is a really uh, good concept that I invite people to r- wrap their minds around. Um, they can find things on my website. They can go to readaboutsex.com, and that's R-E-I-D aboutsex.com. Uh, forward slash store and the dating your species um, workshop should be up there and you can you can purchase it and go through it the other thing that i found has been really really useful in open relationships is the idea of thinking about and this is kind of a little offshoot of dating your species but it's like what's your poly fit if you're going to be in in polyamorous relationships there's different kinds of poly Mm -hmm. and um and so the, the four main ones that I like to talk about, and this all came from one of my primaries, uh, a person uh, named Dr. Beth. We shall refer to her as Dr. Beth, uh, who's really awesome and super, super brainy. And we just kind of started geeking out about different kinds of poly and came up with these four basic archetypes or types. Um, there's probably more, you know, because poly mm-hmm. people want to argue about definitions of poly and things like that. But the, the main four for, for poly matches um, are people who are kind of poly primary wired. So their open relationships don't really kind of, you know, get traction or feel good for them until they have <clears throat> until they have that primary relationship. It's kind of like they're, you know, the Batman to their Robin or the Robin to their Batman. And then they, they, once they have the dynamic duo, everything's really cool. And we see this kind of in, in other open relationship styles, like with swingers, you know, right. they're, you know, which is more pair-based open relationship styles. But for, you know, when they have their dynamic duo, then their swinging just seems to work a lot better. Mm-hmm. So in, in polyamory, there's this idea of people who are kind of primary wired, that they, they might be restless or, you know, things just don't feel right, even though they might be dating a lot of people and, and having all these other relationships until they have their sidekick, you know, their teammate in the whole thing. Right. Um, another poly fit style are people that are called um, what Beth and I call uh, fixed pairs. So these are people that, you know, they, they, they've got their primary, but... Uh, like really what they're looking for is like a triad mm-hmm. or a quad. And once they get a little clump of, you know, people together that are kind of like their their primary pod, um, then everything starts to work really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and what can be really interesting about, about fixed pairs is like just like in, in polyamory where people talk about open quads or open triads or closed triads, um, it doesn't really – it doesn't have anything to do with if you're seeing other people. It's that you kind of have your little chosen family mm-hmm. together. And for for people who aren't poly, or the way that I try to describe this to my sister-in-law, is it's kind of like the best analogy is when people have are wanting to have kids, and they have that first kid, 
And it's just, it's just not a family right. yet. You know, right. They've got the family, but it's just not the full family. And they, now I sound like Christian Slater <laughs> on polyamory. Um, but it's like, I thought that was a pretty good Christian yeah, Slater. Yeah, right there. Yeah. Um, but, you know, the, the thing is like once they have that second or maybe that third kid, then it just kind of locks in. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, finally, we're done. We're good. Um, so you've got the, the primary wire, you've got the fixed pairs. <clears throat> the last two basic styles, there's the, um, what I call the, the pod person, um, and that's, that's what I am. And so you're kind of like a dolphin, like dolphin pod. And as long as the whole pod's together and you know people come and go from the pod, but there's a pod, and as long as you kind of have a pod, everything's great. Um, and so for me, in, in my open relationship styles, like I just have a – a posse, like I have a a pod, a little, um, you know, clan of of lovers and friends, and maybe people are primaries, maybe they're secondaries, maybe they're just friends with benefits. But it's kind of like w- when we get everybody together. For me, it just feels great. Mm-hmm. Um, and last but not least, uh, my primary Allison Moon, uh, person who wrote Girl Sex One Hundred and One, available at girlsex one hundred and one com. It's real good. It's a great it's book. Real good. Uh, hi, Allison. Um, Allison is what I would categorize as a lone wolf. So um, that's that's a person in open relationships who, when they want to be around you, they're they they're around you, and when they don't want to be around you, then get away. Mm-hmm. And Allison, you know, we joke about her being a lone wolf. Um, but what's interesting about lone wolves is they also tend to be pack animals. So when Allison wants the pack, I bring the pack. Like, I have the pod. It's right there. She just has to plug into it. And when she doesn't want to plug into it, she leaves. Right. Um, And so those four basic categories seem to help a lot of people start to ask themselves the questions about Mm -hmm. what what kind of fit should they be looking for or assessing for when they're considering dating or starting a relationship or maybe even just a casual hookup or friends with benefits situation. And, you know, then when you kind of, go a little bit deeper. There are interesting situations where you notice people who are primary wired when they're single um, and they, they start seeing somebody tend to kind of consciously or more mostly like unconsciously try to primaritize mm-hmm. the relationship that they have. Um, and so like you can talk about those things and bring them out and be like, oh, so this is why I, I seem to get really clingy with my new relationships is, is I'm primary wired and I don't have a primary right now. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and I talk about that a lot more and, uh, there's a whole, you know, audio, uh, pod course. You can, um, pod class, pod class course. You can download with a little workbook. Um, so you can start to figure these things out and talk with your communities and your friends and your lovers about like, well, what, what would be your ideal fit? Right. And so what are some of the words of wisdom or potentially even mistakes you've made that you might, you know, talk to people about as far as if, if they're getting into it and what, what they're worried about or what they're looking out for? What are some of the things you might offer up? Well, the, the big one is going to be, you know, relax and slow things down. Um, a lot of people have been so not expressed their whole lives that when they find open relationships and polyamory or swinging or, you know, even kink, they just go a little bit uh, overboard with um, with their enthusiasm and just kind of, you know, cannonball in. They don't even dive in feet first. They just cannonball into the pool of non-monogamy. Um, 
and make a lot of decisions and also, you know, get really defensive because they don't want this self-expression taken away from them. Mm. Um, so I would say if you're, if you're in existing relationships, go slow, have all the conversations, you know, maybe get a coach or, or a therapist who's good at, at open relationships or, you know, buy all the books and read them together, have all the conversations, do all the, the courses um, and understand that if you're having this epiphany before your, your partner, um, you actually might have been mulling over this and thinking about this for, you know, six months, a year or something. And you're coming out of the blue and sideswiping them with this information. Um, so go slow and give people time to adjust um, and take those that adjustment period as the time to, to study and to learn from other people's mistakes. Um, I went really fast um, at first and then I was really defensive. Like I really took a dump on monogamy and, mm. you know, if you were monogamous, you're not, you're not uh, enlightened, evolved, you're not yeah. evolved. And in truth, you know, if, Non-monogamy is a valid relationship choice, like a lot of people in the poly community, you know, advocate for, then so is monogamy. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's a big uh, common theme that I see of people wanting to sort of bash on monogamy or certain types of non-monogamy. So it's, I think it's a good thing to keep grounded mm -hmm. yeah. that we can all do it differently. And if you're being upfront and ethical, that's mm -hmm. a good place to start. Yeah. And, and, you know, do the courses, read the books, get on a, you know, if you like forums and things like that, there's a lot of Facebook groups. Um, you can go to meetups and things like that, meet people in person. Um, and, you know, realize that it can be hard enough to find, um, you know, one person to date in a monogamous situation. Um, give yourself some time and leeway. You know, if you want to have three or four relationships, you know, it might take you a while to find mm -hmm. people that are a good fit. Um, and it's okay to, to test drive, you know, somebody or, or some right. relationships and be like, oh my goodness, look, you know, you're primary wired and I'm not, and this isn't a good fit for us. And, and understand that under figuring out when things aren't working out and transitioning those relationships, that's a win rather than staying in a relationship you shouldn't be for, you know, several years or several decades too long. Right. All right. Any final words of advice or things you want to add about open relationships and non-monogamy? Well, I'll just say like relationships in general, like leave the campsite better than you found it. Awesome. Like that's a, that's going to be, that's my mantra for life in general. And, uh, and the second mantra is provide extraordinary customer service. So like really show up for your relationships, even when they're hard and it's okay to take a day off or take a break and do some self-care. You don't have to show up 120%, 120% of the time. Some days you need to say, Hey, Let's pick this up on Tuesday. I need to take a break. And that that's actually the healthy choice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Reed, for talking to us about open relationships. And where can people find you? Readaboutsex.com. R-E-I-D aboutsex.com. All right. Thank you. Bye. And that's all we have for you today. We really are glad to have you listening. We love your feedback, and we would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us a couple different ways. If you want, you can email us, info at selfservetoys.com. You can also call us at 505-585-5538.
and that number will also be in the show notes. If you want to leave us a message, um, that is a Google Voice account, so it's unlikely that someone's going to pick up the phone, but please leave us a message. Let us know what you think. You can also find us on social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Self Serve Toys. Additionally, you can find us on Twitter and Facebook for the podcast specifically, so that's just show and tell sex on both of those. We hope to hear from you soon. 